I want to welcome you guys all to church, to uh, Rock Fellowship today. We're so glad that each and every single one of you have joined us, and we are especially thankful for, can we move this mic stand? I might run into it uh, while I preach today. Uh, but we want to uh, welcome our online audience as well, those of you who are watching from the Portland area. I know we have a couple of you guys in Arizona joining us today, and uh, for our friends over there in Alaska and Anchorage, thank you so much for joining us. We're so uh, thankful to have you guys all together here as we as we worship. So we started a new series last week, and the series was called Open-Handed. Open-Handed. And if you were here last week, you remember I, I kind of led you through this, this little exercise of, of, of kind of experiencing the difference between being tight-fisted and open-handed. And I thought that was just a, that was a, that was a cool thing for us to do together. But the series is called Open-Handed. What it's really about is, in the subtitle, it's thinking, speaking, and acting generously. And so the, the real reason behind this series is I just feel like in our world today, the world needs more generous people. Like the world needs more genuinely generous people. I'm not talking about people who are willing to donate to a good cause. I'm not talking about people who are willing to give money to a person on the street here and there. But I'm talking about people who are genuinely people who think, speak, and act generously in this world. I feel like this world would be a better place. I feel like with all the stuff that's going on, like generosity is still something that can make a huge difference. And I believe the church is supposed to lead the way in generosity. And so that's why we're talking about all of us learning individually and corporately as an organization to think, speak, and act generously. So last week we talked about why generosity is good for you. Right? And, and we talked about why we, everyone knows that being generous is good for other people, the people that you give money to or you give time to or give energy to. But we had to understand that actually there's a lot in it for you if you are willing to be generous. It's good for others, but it's also good for you. And there's something in it there. So if, if you want to get caught up, go to our uh, website, go to rockfellowshipsa.com. Go to our YouTube channel on, on YouTube or search our name in podcast and you'll find last week's sermon and every actually sermon that we preach in this church about why it's good for you. And essentially the reason why it's good for you is science is showing us, social science is showing us that generous people are happy people. And the more generous you are, the happier you become in life. So that's a spoiler of last week's message just to get you all caught up. Now the next couple weeks we're focusing on this idea of learning to think generously because that's where it begins it's not just about doing the generous thing it's about thinking generously about processing things in a generous way and so this week and next week are going to be focused on helping us to begin having thought patterns understanding seeing things in a way where we begin to think generously next week pastor jonathan is going to preach the message and he's going to help us to understand a really important question you know you all know what you have you all know what you have. Have you ever stopped to think and ask the question? Have you ever stopped to wonder, why do you have what you have? Right? You know what you have. You know what you have in your bank account. Hopefully, you know what you have in your bank account. You know what, what you have in, in your life. You know your possessions. You know what kind of car you have. You know what you have. Do you know why you have what you have? What if there was a reason you have what you have? And so Pastor John, the next week is going to help us to understand and answer the question, why do I have what do I have? Why do I have what I have? So that's, that's next week. Today is, as I mentioned, this is my favorite message of the whole series. I'm super excited about today's message. And I have to be careful because when I get really excited about a message, I tend to talk 
really fast. Not Pastor Jonathan level fast. Um, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but I tend to talk fast. I tend to get really excited. But I'm so excited today for this message because it's, it's something that I think some of you, even if you grew up in the church, you may not know about this. And you may not have ever heard about what we're going to talk about today. And when I tell you what it is, you're going to be like, that is awesome. Like, I didn't know that's what God was like. And the other reason I'm super excited is if you, if you are someone who you're not really into church and you're not really a church person and, and you're not sure why you're here and you're not sure if you really hold, are into this Bible stuff and you may not even know if you believe in God and you have those questions, like I believe that if we, as we talk about what we're going to talk about today, it's going to leave you thinking this. It's going to leave you thinking, I don't know if I believe in God, but if I did, I would want God to be like that. Because what we're talking about today is a side of God that is amazing, it's so cool, and I love, I love this. Like, I don't know what you think about God, I don't know what you believe about God, especially I don't know what you think about God in the Old Testament, but what we're going to talk about today, man, it's just so cool, I just love it, and I'm so excited to share today's message with you. And it's going to lead us to help us begin thinking Generously. So we're going to talk about two ideas or concepts today that will help us to think generously. And then Pastor Jonathan next is going to share with us one idea that will help us to learn to think generously. Okay, so let's pray and let's get into today's message. Father in heaven, uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, this opportunity to, to come together and to learn from you. Because that's what we're doing here. We're not learning from me. We're here to hear your message, God. And so I thank you for each person here. You've brought them here for a reason. And I pray, God, that you open our minds and hearts to hear exactly what you want us to hear. Help us to learn to be generous people, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so uh, some of you guys know I have uh, two kids. They couldn't come to church today because they have the sniffles and it's not good. There's like runny noses and coughing and it's really gross in my house. So they couldn't come. But my first child is a boy. His name is Miles. He's five years old now. He just turned five uh, last week. And one of the things that he loves to do is he loves Legos, right? How many of you guys are Lego fans out there? Lego fans? All right, we got a lot. Actually, great. Right, he loves Legos, and he loves to build these things, and he loves to get these sets. Uh, what I love to see, though, is not him, like, building the sets, you know, the pre, pre-made sets for, like, this, you know, thing. It's when he has just, like, a huge pile of Legos, and he just starts building stuff on his own. Like, I love seeing that. And what I noticed over the years... Um, what I noticed over the years is one of the things that he likes to build is he likes to build, like, little towns. He likes to build little towns and little cities and stuff like that. And um, he'll build little buildings, and, and he'll, like, put people and, and, like, little animals and stuff, and he'll create, like, a little town. And, or he'll create, like, a house or something. And I think he, like, learned it from, from Claire, his, his cousin. But they would, like, build these little homes. And then he would come to me and say, Dad, look, look at, look at what I built. I built this town. I'm like, oh, Miles, that's great. That's fantastic. I love it. Like, look at the little house here. And, 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 and do you guys know what he would do after he completed his, his, his little town, his little home, his little village? He would begin to destroy it. He would, like, take another toy and go, I'm like, don't step on the Legos, man. I bought that for you. And he would destroy his town, like, every time. And I looked at him, and I couldn't get mad. Because I did the same thing when I was a kid. I did the same thing. You would build it, and then you'd destroy it. Like, that's part of the fun of building it is, like, destroying it, you know? And uh, I don't know if it's, like, a boy thing or if it's, like, a Chong thing because, like, my family, that's what we do. But, but I loved, like, seeing him at least build it, right? And what I noticed that when I looked at what he built, oftentimes I could tell that 
knowing Miles, this is the kind of town he would build, right? Like there's a lot of red because he loves the color red, right? And so it, it brought me to this idea that, 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 that this idea, and I think this is true, that the thing that is built reflects the one who built it. Would you agree with that? The thing that is built reflects the one who built it, right? The, the building reflects the architect, who they are, what they value, their concepts, their ideas, their leanings is reflected in what they build. The art reflects the artist, and the creation reflects the creator, right? So I, I think this is a true idea, and I see it in my own life, and I see it around, you know, I think about, you know, we're not building a kingdom or anything like that. We're building a church, right? We're building a church, and we built a literal church a couple years ago, but we're building an organization. And as I look at our church, you know, it reflects the people who are in leadership in the church. Now, I know that none of you are maybe like building a town or building a kingdom or building a world, but we're all building something. All of you are building something. Some of you, you're building a family. And I bet if you look at your family, the family you have now reflects who you are, the good parts and the bad parts. Some of you are building a business or a company or an organization. Your business probably reflects who you are. The way your employees, the way your volunteers treat other people probably reflects who you are or how they don't reflects who you are. Um, some of us, some of us are building a career. All of us are building a life. And if you look at your life and the way you've lived, it reflects who you are. Right, so like that, that's, that's true. It's true that the thing that is built reflects the one who built it. The reason I'm saying this is because what we're going to talk about today is in the beginning part of the Bible, God is building a kingdom. And by looking at the kingdom and the nation he builds, you get a glimpse at who God is. Now some of you guys think, I know who God is. I, I've been in church for a long time. But think for a moment, is it, is, is, is it a crazy idea to know that we can know who God is? But if you look at what God built, you begin to see a bit of his character. So, in the, the, the beginning part of the book, in the second, third, fourth, and fifth book of the, the Bible, in the Old Testament, God is building a nation. He saved these people, his people out of, out of Egypt, and he brings them out of slavery, and he's teaching them how to live in the kingdom that he's building. And it's the kingdom that would be called Israel uh, later on. And so he's teaching them, these are the rules, these are the values, this is the culture, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. Not to be in this kingdom, but because you're already a part of the kingdom, right? So he's building this kingdom, and he's teaching them something. And so what I want to do is I want to focus on one specific thing that God instituted and implemented in his kingdom that is just like so, so cool. And it's from the Le book of Leviticus, and we're going to look at it from chapter 25. So I, I got a decent number of texts here, so just follow, follow along with me. Leviticus 25, verses 8, starts as, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years. Okay, it gets kind of confusing, but just, just work with me. Seven times seven years, so that seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. That's all you need to know at the end, 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month. On that day, the atonement, uh, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout the land. Consecrate Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your own family, property, and to your own clan. Okay, I know there's a lot of like stuff right there. Basically, all it's saying is every 50 years. That's what all that says. Every 50 years, there's a special year. One year 
The 50th year is a very special year to all of you guys. You guys need to understand that. This is a very special year. And what this year was called is called the year of Jubilee. Can we all say that? The year of Jubilee. This is the 50th year. Every 50th year is called the year of Jubilee. And it was a very special year. And we're going to talk about what kind of went on during this year. So um, the first thing that God says to his people as he's building this kingdom, right, he says to them in verse 2, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields and for six years prune your vineyards. Like do all the stuff that farmers do because that's like the main thing that they did in that society. Uh, and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, every seven years, including the year of Jubilee, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest. A Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. So the first thing you have to understand about the year of Jubilee is during that year, there's no work. No work. It's just rest. The land rests and you rest. So for one whole year, on the every seven year, but also on the 50th year, don't work. No more going out into the sun and farming. No more bending over backwards, breaking your back for this labor. No more digging and, and shoveling and, and doing all the stuff that you have to do to farm. No more of waking up at 4 or 5 in the morning and working until sunset. No more that. For one year, just rest. And for, for us in today's world, it's one year where you don't go to work. No more sitting in traffic for an entire year. No more sitting in an office staring at a computer for eight hours for an entire year. No more for you dentists looking into people's mouths for an entire year. No more patients. No more, no more bosses. Nothing. Just rest. No more students. Just rest. Rest. I know for six years you work hard and, and you, you do all you can to, 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 to amass your, your wealth and, and, and survive and live. But for one year, just take a break. Just relax. Just rest. You can do the things that you enjoy. You can do the things that you love. Just rest. So the first thing about the year of Jubilee is like it's just a year of rest. You don't have to work anymore. Now, I know some of you are like, ah, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can just not work for a year. Like, what am I going to eat? How am I going to provide for my family? And this is what God said. He's got you. He understands the practical concerns of that. In verse 20, he says, you may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? And God says, I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. It's like, I know you're worried about what you're going to eat, but in the sixth year, I'm going to like... I'm gonna, you're just going to crush it. You're going to have like so much stuff. You're going to triple your profits in the sixth year. So you'll be fine in the seventh year. But don't worry about it. Like I got you covered. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that for you guys, you can take a year off and then God is going to triple your income? No. Don't do that. Okay? Don't do that. On record, I'm saying it's on the internet. It's going to stay there forever. Do not quit your job for an entire year expecting God to triple your profits in one year, okay? That's not what happens. But you have to understand that this is a part of the year of Jubilee. A year of rest. No more hustle. No more bustle. No more striving. No more digging. No more just like getting through life. Rest. It's commanded. It's like in the rhythm of his country. 
go rest. It's like a siesta, but it's an entire year for one year. Okay, so that's one of the first things that God does as he, uh, as he, as he institutes this thing called the year of Jubilee. So already it's like, this is pretty fantastic, right? Like God's going to fill it up. And I just can rest for an entire year. That's fantastic. Okay. Now, moving on, there's a couple other things that happen, and I really want to focus on those other things. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 28. This is where we're really getting into it. It says, it, meaning land, it will be returned in the Jubilee, and they can go back to their property. So, so what, is this, what does this mean? In, in this culture, in this society, in this kingdom, right, everybody, when they started this kingdom, everybody got a piece of land. Right, everyone, so every family, every clan, every group, they had a piece of land that belonged to them. It was their inheritance. God gave it to them. They didn't work for it. He just said, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. Now, obviously, as life went on, sometimes people would fall into hard times. And so what they would do is they would sell pieces of their property to other people to make it through. Or they'll sell their entire property to somebody else to make it through kind of these difficult times. And what God says is in the year of Jubilee, on the 50th year, all the land that was sold to other people goes back to the original owners. Right? Like, this is crazy, right? We don't do this, right? If you, you have your land, if you sold it within 50 years or in 30 years or 10 years, depending on when the year of Jubilee was, you would get it all back. Completely, fully, no strings attached. All the land would go back to the original owners owners. And, and what's interesting is like the, the value and the price of this land was not based on market value like we do here, right? How much are other people paying for the land? They don't do comps in, in the kingdom of Israel. What they would do is they would set the price for land based on how long until the next year of Jubilee. So if year of Jubilee was coming in two years, you would buy that land for really cheap. If the next year of Jubilee is coming in 30 years, you'd buy it for a, a higher price. God set up this system so that when things would be sold, every 50 years, everything would be reset and everyone would get their land back. Every 50 years, the playing field was leveled. Everyone was given a fresh start. If you had no more property, you gave it all away or you sold it because you couldn't survive, in the year of Jubilee, you got everything back. Fresh start, a new chance to make things better. You're not stuck in that spot anymore. This is what God did in the year of Jubilee. Right, he says, he says this because he wanted to make sure that everyone had equal chances at being successful in life. And even if your parents made a mistake, Maybe your parents made a bad investment or they had a bad, they didn't work really hard one year and you didn't get a lot of crops. And even though they made a mistake, at some point in time in your life, you would get another chance. You don't have to be stuck in this cycle of poverty because your parents made a mistake. You would have a chance again. It was a refresh, a restart every 50 years. And the reason why God did this the reason why God did this, the reason why he explains what needs to happen is because of what he says in verse 23. He says, the land must not be sold permanently, right, because it's all going back. Because the land is whose? Mine. And you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. You remember last week, if you guys were here, we talked about a guy named Nabal. This was his problem. Do you remember what Nabal said? He said, it's my land, my bread, 
my sheep, my water, my meat, right? It was all his, 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 and that led him to be this crude, cruel, unkind person because he was so focused on keeping what was his. He forgot that actually what God teaches is that all of it is not yours. None of it is yours. You're just, you're just managing it for me. I've given it to you. It's really mine in the end, but you are just taking care of it. And every 50 years, you give it back. I don't care if you have so much property, so much land, you give it all back every 50 years because everyone needs a chance. We have to level the playing field every single year. So as we're talking about learning to think generously, there's a statement. I want to frame them in terms of statements that I want you to, we're going to read them. And I hope that when you think about these things, when these things got to get into your brain, this will lead you to think generously. So the first concept, the first idea, if we want to be able to think generously, is this statement. None of this is mine. None of this is mine. That's what God said. It's all mine. It's not yours. If we want to learn to think generously, it begins here. You have to be able to look at all your stuff and say, none of this is actually mine. Can we all say it together? None of this is mine. None of this is mine. Your house, your bank account, your car, your, 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 your technology, your phones, your computers, none of this is yours. And I know you're probably like, what do you mean? I bought it. I'm the one who worked hard. I made money and I bought it. I mean, or my parents worked hard and they bought it for me. It's mine. God's like, no. I'm the one who gave you the money. I'm the one who gave you the ability to work. None of this is yours. This is all mine. And so this is why the Israelites were pretty much forced to live open-handedly. It was what, what the year of Jubilee was. It was a, a mechanism built into the system to make people understand that all of this stuff is not theirs. Because in 50 years, in 20 years, in 10 years, you have to give it back. So it made people to live like this open-handed way. Now for us, it's a lot harder because we don't live in this system. And it's a lot easier to be tight-fisted with all of our stuff and all of our money. But for God's people, he's like, no, I'm going to build in the system a way to make sure that you understand that none of this is yours. And you have to live life with open hands. You have to have a loose grip on your things because it's all going back because we're a people who love each other and we're going to be a different kind of kingdom. None of this is mine. So that's the first thing or the second thing that happens in the year of Jubilee where all the land gets given back to the original owners. So everyone has a shot in their lifetime to be successful and no one is caught in this cycle of poverty because of the mistakes of their parents or their grandparents or their great-grandparents. The second thing that happens, and this is like, this is so cool, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 39. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released, and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. So the other thing that happens in the year of Jubilee is that slaves, servants, are freed. Now this is important to understand that this is not just talking about slavery. This is actually also talking about debt. 
Because in this society, the only way for an Israelite to become a slave is because they ran out of money or they borrowed money and they couldn't pay it back. So they said, you know what? I can't pay you back. I don't have any more money. So I will work for you and I'll work off the debt. That's really the only way they could have been slaves. And so the agreement was, yes, you can work for me. But God's like, you got to treat him. You can't treat him like property. You got to treat him like human beings. You got to treat him like good people. You got to treat him well. But at the year of Jubilee, all the debt is canceled. And all the slaves are set free. Every 50 years, all the debt is canceled. All right, people with student loans, listen to that. All the debt, all the debt canceled. All the slaves set free. So could you imagine how much people looked forward to the year of Jubilee? And then so they would leave, but they wouldn't leave their, their master's home with nothing. Remember, what did they get in the first part we just talked about? They got all their land back. So they sold their land, they sold their stuff, they even sold themselves, but at the year of Jubilee, they get to go home to their land and have a fresh start all over again. This is the year of Jubilee. This is an amazing thing that God has instituted in his kingdom. But you know what? This is so important to God. This freedom, he doesn't want his, his own people enslaving each other. This is so important to God that actually it's not about 50 years. In Exodus chapter 21, right after he gives the Ten Commandments, he says this. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he's to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. So it's actually not 50 years. You don't have to be a slave and your family doesn't have to be a slave for 49 years. Only six. And every seventh year, the slaves go free. In Deuteronomy, he says this. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debt. Not 50 years, it's every seven years. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan. This is music to our ears, right? Cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debt has been proclaimed. God says no more debt. Every seven years we clear the books. No more slaves, no more debt. And he even, like, he even understands his people so well. Because I know what some of you guys are thinking. Like, this is kind of strange. This is what he says right afterwards. Be careful. Because some of us would do this, right? Not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debt is near. So that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. So in other words, it's like fifth year or sixth year, and someone's like, hey, man, I need a loan. And you're like, well, in a year, you're not going to pay me back, so I'm not going to help you out. Which is like very understandable in our world today. But God's like, no, you can't have that thought. I need you to think generously. I'm going to cancel the debt, but they're your people. You need to take care of them and loan them without interest and help them out. This is like, remember, the thing that is built reflects the one who built it. The reason God created the system is because this is how God is. This is an extremely generous system because God is a generous God. Right, so like this is so crazy. Like this world, that this system, this kingdom that God is building is so different, right? Like this is not capitalism. This is not communism. This is not socialism. This is the kingdom of God. There's nothing else in this world like this. 
But I know what you're thinking. Some of you guys are like, mm, I don't know about this. This doesn't seem very fair, right? This doesn't seem very fair. I mean, if you did well in life, like, you should be able to have all the things you have. If you worked hard, you should be able to keep all your stuff. And, and God is not saying you have to give away all your stuff. It's not fair if, if someone got a loan at the sixth year and they don't have to pay it off. Like, what is that? Like, that's bogus. Then the person who loaned the money, like, they're in trouble, right? Like, that's not fair. But what you have to understand is the reason God created this system, the year of Jubilee, it wasn't about being fair. God's main concern as he built this into the Israelite life was not, let me make the most fair system. Listen to what he says in Leviticus 25, verse 17. This is God's main concern. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. It's not fair. It's not fair, the system God created. But it is generous. It's not fair. It's grace. And this is the kind of foundation that God built his world on. So, like, this is what it really came down to. The year of Jubilee was rest from work for an entire year, rest from work. It was a restoration of land. All the land goes back to the original owners. You give it all back. It's not yours. Give it all back. I don't care how many farms you have. I don't care how many acres you have. You give it all back in 50 years. Cancellation of debt every seven years and the freedom, liberation of slaves every six to seven years and 50 years, it is like the celebration, all slaves free, all debt canceled. And so I want to take a step back and, and, and look a little bit about these four concepts and what this really means for us. And what this really means for us in, in our world today, especially like what is, this, what is this, how does this lead us to think as we look at the kingdom? What is God really doing here? All right, so when he talks about this rest that God is building into his kingdom in his world, what that rest is really, the freedom from more. The freedom from more. See, God builds in this one year of rest to help his people understand and give them the gift of knowing what is enough. Because it's always hard, let's be honest, it's always hard to know what is enough. Y'all know that. See, I'll, I'll, I just need enough money to be happy. There's no enough. So God builds in the system to help them to understand this is enough. You don't need more. You don't need to do more. You don't need to be more. You don't have to strive every day and kill yourself to get more. You need to rest this year and stop and live simply. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to trust me. You're going to be fine. And you're going to realize, I guess I didn't need all that stuff. I guess I didn't need to work that, those extra long hours because now I know that I am free from more. That's what God is doing in this. When it comes to the restoration of land, what it's talking about, what God is doing is generational flourishing versus generational poverty. God does not want his people to be stuck in a cycle of generational poverty. It's not, it's not the children's fault. God wants to give everyone a chance to be 
successful. God wants to give everyone a chance to live a, way, a life that is full of prosperity and joy and, and, and good work. And he doesn't want anyone to be stuck. He wants to make the, the, the playing field level for all his people to give everyone a shot. He doesn't want anyone to be able to say, the system is against me. The man is stacked against me. I can't get out of this. I can't get out of this poverty. It's too hard. Everything is against me. This world is against me. God says, no, 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 no. That's not what my kingdom is like. Everyone will have a chance. Every generation will have a chance to flourish and be successful and live the abundant life that I want for them. The cancellation of debt. This is probably my favorite one. Cancellation debt, what it is, is preventing wealth at the expense of others. He did not want his people to take advantage of, other, of his own people, of their brothers, of their sisters. He did not want people to amass wealth at the expense of others. God wanted his people to be successful. He wanted people to have big crops and storehouses. He wanted them to have what they needed. He wanted them to be successful. But he didn't want them to do it at the expense of other people. He didn't want them to create a system where they could loan people money and enslave people and just get rich. God was not okay with the idea of the richer getting richer and the poor getting poor. He created a system to prevent that. So every seven years, cancel debt and everyone gets a new chance. And finally, the liberation of slaves. It was God instituting systemic grace versus systemic oppression. Right, in that world, at that time, in that ancient culture, all those kingdoms, all the other kingdoms outside of Israel were full of systemic oppression. Right? The king could do whatever he wanted. The nobles could do whatever he wanted. And nobody could say a thing. But God says, not in my kingdom. Every 50 years, we're refreshing. Every seven years, everyone gets a chance. In my kingdom, there will be no oppression built into the system. But in the system, we will have opportunities for grace, generosity, and kindness, and compassion. God built this into his kingdom. This is what he wanted for his people. Why? Because that's who God is. This was the year of jubilee. And here, here's, the, here's the craziest thing, guys. Here's the craziest. This is the last thing I'm going to talk about before we close. Here's the craziest thing. The year of Jubilee, as amazing as it was, as revolutionary an economic system it was in the ancient culture, there was more to it. Because thousands of years later, thousands of years later, this guy named Jesus comes to this world. He's born into this world, and he steps into a synagogue one day. And this is what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to the oppressed set free, to proclaim, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is another word, another name for the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was a foreshadowing of Jesus coming to this earth. He knew that, God knew that in thousands of years, my child, my son will come. The Messiah will come and he will do the year of Jubilee in a brand new way, in a way that no one has ever seen before. The year of Jubilee, this, this year and system of generosity foreshadows the person of Jesus Christ, of his life and his ministry. And he, he gives us 
He restores us. He, he sets us free. He, he cancels all debt, not financial debt. Unfortunately, Jesus is not going to come and cancel all your financial debt. He's not going to take away your mortgage today. But gee, he, it points to the day when Jesus came and lived on this earth, died on the cross, and he didn't cancel our financial debt, but he canceled our debt to sin. The, the amount we owed because of the sin in our lives. He, he, he set us free, not from a, a, a human master or a kingdom that is enslaving us. No, he set us free from fear and from death, from hypocrisy, from anger and hate and, 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 and apathy. He set us free from all those things. He set us free from sin and temptation and lust. He set us free. And he doesn't restore to us a physical land like a piece of property that you could go to. No, he restores to us and points us to a heavenly home. The year of Jubilee pointed to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and what he brings to us. The year of Jubilee, as amazing as it was, pointed to the gospel. And so that brings us to kind of the final point if we want to learn to think generously. Remember the first thing. What is the first thing that we need to know and understand if we want to think generously? None of this is mine. Here's the second thing. I am a receiver of insane generosity. I am a receiver of insane generosity. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian, if you're not like a Bible person, like this still works too. Like if you realize that you are the recipient and the receiver of generosity, that will move you and push you to be generous to others. So, so you have to look at your life and see how you are the recipient of generosity from your parents or friends or, or your community or, or whoever or your boss. If you understand that you have received generosity, it moves you to be generous to other people as well. But if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are someone who does believe in the Bible and does believe in what it teaches and does believe in God and Jesus and all that stuff, you have been shown the most amazing generosity the world and history has ever seen. Because what we believe is that God, who created all, who owns all, sent his son to die for you so that you could live, so he could be with you for all eternity. You are a receiver of insane generosity. If we be, can begin to accept that and think that way, it will lead us to think generously. For those of us who believe in, in Jesus and God and the Bible, you've been given the most amazing gift. And if you're not, you have the opportunity to receive that same amazing gift of generosity today and every day. So as we, as we continue in this series, it all begins with thinking generously. None of this is mine. Everything I have has been given to me. And I am the recipient, I am the receiver of an insane amount of generosity. So as we close here, I just want to encourage you guys to allow those two thoughts to settle in this week. As you interact with people around you, as you interact with people at work, as you interact with your family, know that none of this is yours. And know that you have been shown amazing generosity in your life. And you're called then, or you're moved, or you're invited or encouraged to show that same generosity 
to others. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for this message. Lord, thank you, God, for showing us this amazing thing called the year of Jubilee, man. I'm so, God, it's so cool to see that this is the kind of God you are. That this system, that this kingdom, that all of this was built because that's your character, because you are a generous God, and you've called us to be generous to others as well. Thank you so much for, for leading us and teaching us and guiding us. And I pray, God, that those two statements, those two truths, Father, would stay with us this week. That you would allow us to and lead us to live in an open-handed way because we understand that none of this stuff is ours. And let us every day wake up knowing that we have received an amazing gift of generosity. Life itself is a gift. And the life that you have given us in Jesus, that's crazy, God. So thank you for that. Please help us to walk in that truth today and this week. In your name we pray.